Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Monday, March the 26th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we are talking all things quarterbacks, much to the chagrin of the fan base. Miami signed a new one on Friday, and we'll talk about what Brock Osweiler means for the Dolphins in 2018, plus a deep dive into draft day options to challenge Osweiler for the number two job, and just where does the Dolphins quarterback room stack up against the rest of the league as it stands today? Day on March 26th. All of that and more, but first I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. If you guys don't know by now, that helps the podcast grow, get out to more Dolphins, helps us pay more bills, allows us to keep on doing this. So if you're a fan of the show, please go do that if you haven't already. And those of you that have, big, big thank you to you guys. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of content on there right now, including Kevin Dern newest piece detailing the defensive tackle prospects it is fantastically in-depth my piece talking about backup quarterback options for the Miami Dolphins on draft day that we're going to talk about in the podcast today as well and of course the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On Marlins podcast for all that local Miami coverage of your favorite teams I know you guys aren't really used to me getting really personal on the podcast but just kind of going over the weekend that I had it was pretty pretty fun watching some of the basketball games I'm not really that big of a basketball fan I promote the Lockdown Heat podcast because it's good for the podcast and I know a lot of you guys are Heat fans but just watching the NCAA tournament man that was the games on Sunday I'm, I'm recording this Sunday night the games today the Kansas and Duke game was really really good and fun to watch I just can't get into the into basketball I think it has to do with the way scoring works early in games or throughout the course of the game. It just feels like it's irrelevant until the very end. Whereas in football, you have big plays that, you know, make huge impacts on the course of the game and alter the way the game is played. I know it's probably the same way for basketball. Hell, I was a three-time varsity player in my high school in basketball. So basketball and baseball are actually the two sports that I played growing up into college, but football was the one that I didn't. I just, as a fan watching the game, I just can't get into it. But today's games, those were a blast to watch. Had my brother in town for some of those uh, NCAA games. So a good time there. I don't know if you guys are into the bracket, but I'm sure all your brackets are busted just like mine is, even though I hit randomize on my bracket. I think I actually got Marshall and Virginia. So that just kind of shows you how busted every bracket was, even if you didn't put any skill to it. So I just kind of got sick of filling out a bracket when I used to have knowledge of the game back in the past. As you guys have heard me say on Twitter, I kind of lost sight of basketball as a fan when the Sonics left. If you guys don't know already, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And when the Sonics left, I just really couldn't do hoops anymore. So I lost my fandom for basketball when the Sonics left. And I used to be really knowledgeable about the game, really into it, would go through the brackets and pick them super strategically. But now I just hit randomize and go with it. But just like all you guys, my bracket is busted. But Let's get on to the football now and stop talking about hoop. I'm sure some of you guys hate hoop as much as I do for the most part. So I'm sure you're bored to death. Let's go ahead and get into first down in the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is first down on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. You guys know the drill by now. The first segment of the day talking about Brock Osweiler, everybody's favorite signing of the offseason. The money is not yet known on that yet, but Twitter was a complete shitstorm on Friday. And for what is my question? What was the? Why was everybody so up in arms? over a quarterback that really is his spot on the roster isn't even guaranteed. 
But then again, you know, this is the same fan base that was chanting for Kyle Orton at a scrimmage back in 2011, or the same fan base that chanted for Matt Moore after Tannehill was getting pummeled behind a horrible offensive line in that 2016 game against Tennessee Titans. So all this move does is it provides stability with David Fells to go ahead and run the actual offense throughout the course of the summer. We're going to have OTAs in May, which happens right after the draft. A rookie is going to come in there. And think about yourself when you started your first like technical job where you had a system to learn on the computer. You didn't know what the hell you were doing. That's that's how it is for a quarterback coming into the league times a hundred. They're going to have so much thrown at them, new lingo, new protection calls. You guys know all that stuff and how that goes into that. So to have three quarterbacks that can run the system, run the scheme and get the ball where it needs to go to these new receivers. We have Danny Amendola. You guys know that Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant going to be a much bigger factor this year. These guys are going to need additional reps that are quality reps and quarterbacks throwing them the football that can actually put the ball where it's supposed to be on time and get them familiar with the rhythm and the system and the scheme here in Miami. So that's all Osweiler and Fails provide our camp arms. Now, if one of them becomes a starter, it's a definite you know, break in case of emergency type situation where we hope that's not the case, but hopefully this entire conversation becomes mute because Tannehill stays healthy. But either way, Osweiler is essentially competition for David Fails for that number two, number three quarterback job, I suppose. But we're going to talk about more of the realistic options to be a backup quarterback or quality options, adequate options, I should say. And there's a piece on LockedOnDolphins.com right now titled The Backup Arms Race, written by yours truly. And there I dive into each round possibility or each quarterback that could go at each round and kind of decipher what would be a good pick for the Dolphins, what would make sense versus what wouldn't make sense. And it basically goes like this without trying to spoil the column too much. So the first round, you have the big four quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, and Baker Mayfield. None of those guys are obtainable unless you want to spend a fortune to go up. It costs the Jets three second round picks to go up three spots. If the Dolphins want to get a crack at any of them, they're going to have to go at least to four and we'll even see if that's for sale. Number two is even for sale. Number one and number three are not for sale. The Giants could try to sell number two. I guess the Browns could try to sell number four. But if you want to go from t- from 11 to four, that's going to cost next year's first. It's going to cost this year's second. So get ready to have no draft picks at all. So if that's what you want to do, that's fine. That's not what I want to do. We have a good quarterback as it is. So those guys, not obtainable. The next faction of guys are Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph. Now I put Lamar Jackson closer to the top four. In my opinion, I'd actually have him in that top four. I think he's a very good player. And there are some guys in that top four I'm not necessarily a fan of both the guys from Southern California. Not a fan of either of them as quarterbacks going forward. However, Lamar Jackson has some deficiencies in his mechanics, that narrow base where he kind of will, he's all upper body. And it's kind of the same thing with Mason Rudolph. There's not a lot of drive in the lower torso or the lower part of the body through the torso. And it's kind of weird how big of a guy he is and how not strong his arm is. So those two guys kind of fall into that next faction. I'm not taking either at number 11. That's too much. I have to work as a project to go ahead and take those guys there. I would be okay taking Lamar Jackson in a trade back scenario, but Mason Rudolph, I'm just not really a fan of his. And both are going to be gone by pick 42, in my opinion. Mason Rudolph might be there, but even still, I'm just not a big fan of the guy. So I don't think that that's a viable option. So then you can fall back into rounds three and four, pick 73 and picks 123 and 131. Now there's a glut of quarterbacks here that I'm a pretty big fan fan of, or at least a couple of them that I'm pretty big fan of, but a glut of quarterbacks that figure to go in that range. And here are the five guys that I listed through for rounds three through four. Luke Falk from Washington State, Kyle Lalletta from Richmond, Chase Litton from Marshall, Riley Ferguson from Memphis, and Mike White from Western Kentucky. Now, Chase Litton and Mike White, I don't like 
either of those players. Those are guys that are talked about from scouts or other different types of draft analysts that like those guys in those spots. I don't like either. I think Chase Litton's too upright. He's too statuesque. He doesn't really move around a lot. Takes a lot of sacks. And Mike White's the same way. He is a one read and let it rip type of guy. He's got a fastball arm, but just can't really do much in terms of reading the defense. He sounds good talking on the whiteboard, but when it comes to gameplay, it's a whole different thing. So that leaves me with Luke Falk, Kyle Lala, and Riley Ferguson. Now Riley Ferguson, I like his anticipation and, and touch over the seam, and he's got a quick release and he sees things quickly. He anticipates a lot. My big thing is kind of anticipation, and that's why I love Kyle Laletta and Luke Falk. Now, Laletta, I'm not as familiar with, but Luke Falk, I have seen every game that guy has played his career. I'm a WSU Cougar, so go Cougs. And he had a really bad senior year in terms of production compared to what his junior year was. He is the Pac-12's all-time touchdown passing leader and all-time Pac-12 yardage or passing yardage leader as well. So he has the records in his back pocket. He comes from a volume offense. He has run a lot of plays. He has seen a lot of football. And the big note I had in there was the fact that the WSU offense ran the ball for a thousand yards each of the last two seasons. And why that's unique is because Mike Leach calls in plays. He does not call in running plays. It's up to Luke Falk to decipher that he wants to run the ball at the line of scrimmage and he checks the that and he goes to the run so he takes a lot of pride in that his cerebral approach to the game the ball comes out quick he's a quick read you know two route combination read type of quarterback he can look off and go the other directions and he anticipates super well so all of those factions fall into what Adam Gaze wants to run with Ryan Tannehill with the good pass protecting offensive line we have now these receivers that can win quickly off the line scrimmage Luke Falk to me would be ideal backup quarterback for Miami this year and a potential long-term starting project now some of the weaknesses that he had and possibly the bad senior year could push him down to 123. That's my hope. Pick 123, get a gra- get a hold of Luke Falk there, or possibly a trade back, pick up an additional third round pick and take him there and just be safe. But that's the guy that I want. Pick 123, Luke Falk, the backup to Ryan Tannehill. be a fantastic addition there. You can read that piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. Talks about my three guys beyond the third and fourth round that I like as well. Logan Woodside, Kurt Benkert, and Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers is at Troy, Kurt Benkert is at Virginia, and Logan Woodside is a Toledo quarterback, the MAC quarterback. He was a stud there. So those guys can spin it pretty well too. Definitely some projects from that pro- that point of view. But those are the quarterbacks I'm looking at moving forward. But we're going to talk more about quarterback situations, including where does the Dolphins quarterback situation rank amongst the rest of the NFL? We're going to get into that here on Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Meeful NFL at Lockdown Fins. Pressing on on a quarterback-centric episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fence, and LockedOnDolphins.com. We talked about draft prospects, potential backup quarterbacks, but what about the Dolphins quarterback situation as it is right now? Now, you'll see these articles talk about kind of lumping in the backup in addition to the starter, and I don't really think that's necessarily a good idea because most of these teams, at least the ones on this list, their quarterbacks tend to play 16 games every year. And the Dolphins had that same exact thing until the Calais Campbell hit on Ryan Tannehill that you guys are all aware of by now. And if you're not, you're not really a Dolphins fan. So I I would uh, look at the, the top, the starter, the top of the quarterback list for each team and kind of go off of that. So I went through the each team's quarterback situations in the NFL and I wrote down the quarterback situations that are better than Miami's, the ones that are not as good as Miami's, and then the ones that are kind of close. And I'll tell you where I rank Miami at the end of it all together and basically just where I rank Ryan Tannehill amongst the starting quarterbacks. So this is not in any particular order. It's in order of the divisions. And I start off in the AFC East, working all the way west and then back to the NFC East, working all the way to the west. So first off the top, we'll start in New England. No explanation there, Tom Brady. I'm not going to explain that for you guys. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I wrote about this on my 2016 quarterback rates, Ben Roethlisberger, and how they kind of reduce him in the offense and I think you kind of see as the year went on with Lev Bell getting banged up or Antonio Brown getting banged up at various points that that's not because of Ben's 
lack of ability. Now, he was a little bit more turnover prone the last couple of years and not as accurate, but he can really turn it on when he has to. Like the playoff game against the Jaguars, for instance, when they had to get all those points, he was dropping dimes. Antonio Brown was making great catches. So I'm not going to sit here and argue that Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers have a worse quarterback situation than the Miami Dolphins. So the Patriots, Steelers, Chargers, I still believe Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He is fantastic. Again, turnover prone. Hasn't been as good the last couple of years, but I'm not going to bet against that guy. He is a great competitor and a great quarterback. Fourth, Philadelphia Eagles. Now, if Carson Wentz were as if his stats was as uncertain as it is and they didn't have Nick Foles in the in the fold, so to speak, there as their backup if they had traded Nick Foles, I probably wouldn't have him on here just because of the uncertainty. And it would be funny to hear the kind of the pushback I got on that saying, You think that Tannehill's better than Wentz? Well, I mean, we're talking about two ACL injuries that occurred three months apart. So Philly is definitely above Miami right now, especially because of Nick Foles. So that's four. Green Bay, not going to explain that to you guys. Detroit, I think Matt Stafford might be more underrated than Ryan Tannehill. He's a hell of a player, a hell of a competitor, big-time arm, great you know, great cerebral approach to the game, very good quarterback there. The New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees, no explanation necessary there. The Atlanta Falcons, I think Matt Ryan is what Ryan Tannehill could become or will become when the Dolphins finally get an offensive cast that is as good as Atlanta's, and he has had that most of his career. Julio Jones early on there in his career within the first three or four years, always had a pretty good running game, had Tony Gonzalez for a long time. And now with guys like Mohamed Sanu, Devontae Freeman, Tevin Coleman, just a, a, a litany of options there for Ryan Tannehill. Well, I think that, or excuse me, for Matt Ryan. And if Ryan Tannehill ever got to that point, you see a similar production as what Matt Ryan does in Atlanta. But Atlanta with Matt Ryan, he's a great quarterback. I love him. Definitely above Miami. Carolina is one that I'll probably get some pushback on from the Tannehill supporters, which you guys should be because you're Dolphins fans. He's a good player. Nonetheless, let's move on. So Cam Newton, he's just a transcendent guy for me. The way he runs the football, the way he operates that offense, he has some really poor weapons there in Carolina. A lot of people thought that Kelvin Benjamin was a good player, but he is proving that he is not. He never really was a good player. Can't create separation, and that was the case throughout the course of 2016 and most of 2017 for the Panthers too. So last team with no explanations, the Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson. I don't need to explain that to you guys. He's an elite quarterback there. So that's 11 teams better that I can definitively say I'd rather have their quarterback situation. And then there is a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams that are right in that mix. And I'm putting Tannehill above all of these teams right now. And I think there are one, possibly two, that I could hear the argument for about why they should be bumped up. Number one, Oakland Raiders, Derek Carr. I called it in 2016, very overrated that year, running three vertical routes, a running back check down, and he would just lob it up to Devon, to uh, Michael Crabtree or Amari Cooper. They made hell of plays on the ball down the field and then check downs to the back. He just... I mean, we saw it last year. He really wasn't as good as that 2016 season indicated that he was. Indianapolis Colts, Andrew Luck is a hell of a football player, but the shoulder surgeries, the fact that they don't even know what's going on with him. I mean, he came back, went back to IR, went to Germany for surgery, for stem cell, all that stuff. Weird situation there with Andrew Luck. He's a great player, but I'm not going to put him over Tannehill until he gets onto the field again because Tannehill will be back with a knee. Andrew Luck, I don't know what's going on with him. Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott, he was phenomenal. His rookie year was so just... Such a good feel for the game. Obviously a good support with the running game there, but he had a bit of a step back this year, so I'll put him slightly below Tannehill for now. Washington Redskins, Alex Smith, another very good player, led the NFL in passer rating last year, but I'm going to go ahead and knock him down a tick because I think he was more of a fit with Andy Reid there. I still think he's a good quarterback, very good middle-of-the-pack type of quarterback, but more of a scheme the scheme really elevated his production there in Kansas City. Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, I think exact same situation there. Kirk Cousins is Ryan Tannehill, you know, 
East or I guess Midwest now with the Minnesota Vikings, the Los Angeles Rams, Jared Goff. He was a scheme quarterback all the way. I, I, he's a good player. He got a big arm, but I just don't think he's anything special. I think that Sean McVay is one driving that bus as well. Todd Gurley in Los Angeles. And then the San Francisco 49ers. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo is one that I could definitely hear an argument for being above Tannehill, but I'm just going to make sure I have I can see it first. His last couple of games with the Niners there, were, he's, he's a really good player. Those feet are so smooth, the way he gets the ball out quickly. Really good looking player. So for me, that makes Ryan Tannehill the 11th best quarterback in the NFL right now, going back to his 2016 production, but also going back before that and just kind of looking at some of his past film, the stuff that he can do with his mental makeup, his versatility as both a runner and a passer, and just the impact that we saw he had on the team first when he was playing compared to when he was not playing. So Ryan Tannehill is on fire. And we'll look forward to hearing a lot more of that in the 2018 season for the Miami Dolphins with Ryan Tannehill talking all things quarterback. And we're going to go back to that 2014 offense on the other side of the podcast here and look at some options the Dolphins could do to get him playing at an even higher level than he was in 2016. This is Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Locked On Fins. And to close out this Sunday night slash Monday morning podcast, talking about the quarterback position for the Miami Dolphins, where they rank in 2018, as well as possible backup options, just kind of wanted to talk about you know, late Saturday night, I came home last night. The, the lady and I had a couple of drinks at a bar, came back. I popped on some 2014 game film from the Chicago game, the Green Bay game, the Jacksonville game, and the San Diego Chargers game when Tannehill had a really good stretch there where he was throwing touchdown passes. He was had a high completion percentage. He had three straight games with a 40-yard run or more. Maybe it was 30-yard run. It was a lot of yardage on the ground. And they ran a lot of RPOs and read options for the quarterback. And Tannehill was a big threat on the ground. And part of what that did to the defense was kept the linebackers off base. It helped Tannehill in that play-action game that I've talked about so many times. It got him on the move. It kept linebackers displaced so he could throw to that middle area of the field where he is so strong on those slant patterns and really ripping fastballs in there. He was firing some heaters into some closed tight windows. Got him a lot of confidence, both getting him up in the running game as well as those short passes. So I would love to see Adam Gaze incorporate a lot more run pass options the way Nick Foles and Doug Peterson did with the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl in the playoffs this year. Do a lot more to kind of keep defenses honest. You have the personnel with Kenyon Drake and Ryan Tannehill, as well as that shifty receiver group out there. So you can do a lot of stuff with Tannehill going forward. And the way Adam Gaze kind of altered his offense at the end of the year last year, getting more Jakeem Grant onto the field, but then they kind of had to scale it back because the offensive players, the personnel just wasn't quite ready to go ahead and expand at that rate. And, you know, I've talked about it on the Adam Gaze architect piece on the Ryan Tannehill ACL piece, how Adam Gaze said that basically I had to strip this offense down to its basic components because no one could do what it is. And there was actually a story that I read the other day on a message board talking about Mike Martz shooting Adam Gaze a text last year and said, what is this offense? Because if you guys don't know, Adam Gaze learned his offense from Mike Martz when he was in Detroit. So that's where he got the basic principles for this offense. So when you see those stupid complaint tweets about Adam Gaze's stupid bubble screen offense, just ignore that ignorance. That is complete ignorance, and it's not anywhere near accurate. So Mike March sends Adam Gaze a text and says, "This is what is this offense you're running? This is not the offense that I taught you or that I, you know, passed on to you that you kind of developed into your own." And he just basically said, "You know, I don't. I know I, these guys aren't getting it. I have to scale it back. We we aren't." competent enough to run the stuff that I want to run, the stuff that you created and the stuff that you passed on to me. So here we are. And that's why I'm so excited for the season, this upcoming season, because I think that everyone looks at the fact that we lost in Dominican Sue and Jarvis Landry and they just say, ah, that's, that's lost talent. That's all it is. But how often do you guys see talented teams win the whole thing? Remember the, the Philadelphia Eagles dream team back in 2011, whatever that was? How good did that work out? I mean, last year, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the hot team that everyone was buying into preseason. How did that work out for them? These the, Accumulating talent is like just a portion of the entire 
process of building a football team. You have to have a steady 53. They're all on the same page, working in the same direction. So all the talent in the world is great, but if you don't have the right people to do the right things, it's not going to work out. So this plan, you know, there's a possibility it doesn't work out. I can understand that. But just all this pushback on what the Dolphins could be this year is just so ridiculous to me. And all the negative media attention, all the stuff like quote unquote, that they're the biggest joke in the NFL. Just give me a damn break. This team's going to be just fine. They're going to win a bunch of games this year. Going to be a lot better football team than they were in 2017. And that's all because of the quarterback position, which is the position of the day today. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking about running backs, all things Miami Dolphins running backs, and Kenyon Drake, as well as the draft. But that will do it for today's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and a review. Check out the other Lock on Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Winfield NFL. Follow the show, at Locked on Fins. Follow our flagship show, at Locked on NFL, both on Twitter and Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.